I'm going to start a video series responding to Pastor Mike Winger and his non-Calvinistic interpretation of Romans 9. And I don't know how often I'll get to it. I'm just going to kind of do it piece by piece, bit by bit. Um, but I'm going to start today with something that's really not germane to Romans chapter 9. Um, but he went off on a, on a little side trail, admittedly, as it was a side trail, uh, rabbit trail, forgive me. And I just wanted to address that. I wanted to begin by just kind of covering this and moving on. Just by way of introduction, I'm starting at the 17-minute mark, 17-and-a-half-minute mark. Uh, for the first 17 minutes, he sort of just was giving an introduction to the context of Romans 9, as well as reading the entire passage. And he talked a lot about not just Romans 9, but just Romans 9 through 11 in general. And uh, I mean, I, I could have disagreed with some of it being really nitpicky, but generally speaking, I didn't find anything, any disagreement um, that I had so severe in his introduction and background that it, to me it was worth discussing uh, or trying to critique, if you will. So that's why I'm kind of jumping ahead. Uh, he's, he's only just recently begun to exegete Romans 9. And I may need to go back in some of my other videos, but so far there hasn't been a whole lot, if any, disagreement. Uh, but where the first real disagreement comes in, and like I said, it, admittedly it's a bit of a rabbit trail, it comes at, when Paul begins Romans 9 by saying, I speak the truth in Christ, I am not lying, my conscience testifies to me through the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the benefit of my brothers and sisters, my own flesh and blood. So Paul begins by saying how sorrowful he is that so many of the Jews, his kinsmen according to the flesh, are not saved. And essentially says, I wish that I, I would give up my own salvation for them. Now there's different interpretations throughout church history, whether he was actually referring to his salvation or if he was just referring to being a sacrifice and that's irrelevant for this conversation. The point is, is that Paul is obviously expressing a deep anguish over the unbelief of the Jews and is essentially saying, I would do whatever I could to save them. And so um, from that, um, Pastor Mike comes up with a, well, doesn't come up. He, he, he presents what he believes is a challenge to Calvinism based off of Paul. And it's, it's one that you've you, uh, probably heard before. John Piper famously addressed this once. Um, so it's, it's a common objection, and so I just wanted to put my answer on record, if you will. So hear his objection, then I'll talk about it. What he's just showing us is the grief in his heart. It, it's not as though you could take somebody else's place in that sense. Jesus already took your place. You had to be rescued to start with. You want to jump back in? That's not going to help anybody. Um, so do you, do you care like this? Do you care like this? In fact, I would say this. If, if Paul cares this much about the Jews that are not saved, that don't know Messiah, isn't it safe to say that God cares that much? At least that much? Perhaps more? That, the, that God's grief over their lack of having accepted Christ, that that grief would be greater even than Paul's? I think so. I think so. It is an odd feature within Calvinism that it seems to imply that Paul wanted people saved that God doesn't want saved. Because if you have the, the choosing of God saying, no, I, I want them saved and you I don't, then those unsaved Israelites are simply out of God's election unsaved. 
Whereas I, I think the biblical teaching would be God loves everybody. He wants all people saved, but he leaves, he leaves this path through Christ and lets people make choices. And that is his predestined will to do that. So there, there is this, what he describes, this odd feature of Calvinism where God sort of loves people less than we do. That God loves the Jews less than Paul loves the Jews. And what's the proof of this? Well, because Paul is basically saying, if I were God, I would save them. So apparently Paul desires their salvation more than God. And so the claim is that because God did not elect, you know, so many of these Jews to salvation, uh, that he therefore doesn't love them, Paul loves them and he would do anything to get them saved. And so we have this kind of um, correlation or, or, or a, a, a problematic, there's, there's a lack of correlation, right? Paul has a greater love for these people than apparently God does. And uh, like I mentioned John Piper, I, I can't remember, it's been a long time since I've read it, but I, I believe John Piper wrestled with the same thing not long ago when he published an article that went viral about, does do I love my children more than God does? And I don't remember his answers, I, I'm not sure how consistent mine will be with, with what he said, but I would imagine they'll probably be somewhat similar. Um, but there's there's two problems with this objection. And the second one, I'm going to save the, 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 the stronger one for last. Um, but the first problem is this, is that uh, the idea that God doesn't elect them automatically means that he doesn't want them saved or doesn't love them is not actually a fundamental feature of Calvinism. Um Specifically, you do not have to believe in Calvin's soteriology and also believe that those whom God elect or those whom God chose not to elect are also those whom God didn't desire their salvation. As a matter of fact, the, a better explanation of this is you can just look up on YouTube. Our, the late R.C. Sproul had a good um, explanation of this when he described his interpretation of that famous passage from Peter where Peter says that for God does, does, not, does not desire that any should perish, but that all should come to salvation. and um, Or does not desire any you shall perish. That's the important thing in the Calvinist, but that all would be saved. And, and Calvinists have basically two different read, understandings of that verse. One of them is uh, po- a modern theologian that would believe in this interpretation is, for example, like Dr. James White which is the view that if you follow the pronouns, he's talking just specifically to that church or about believers in general, right? He's talking about the you, you, you. We won't get into that interpretation because what's relevant for this particular objection is that R.C. Sproul takes a different tact, a different angle, which is that God does, in fact, desire the salvation of all people equally, but there are other factors in God's um, wills that would not that obviously made him decide not to elect all people. So in other words, RC Sproul would argue that God can desire the salvation of everyone equally yet not elect everyone equally. That those two things aren't necessarily logically connected the way I think Pastor Mike is assuming. Um and and, and this gets in RC Sproul gets into that video what he calls I think seven wills of God. And I would argue that every Christian has to believe that there's sort of more than one will of God. And we have to be careful with that. What we mean by will is different than the way we talk about the will. Like when we talk about Trinitarianism, for example, how there's the one will of God. We're talking about something slightly different when we talk about the seven wills or what 
I don't know if I believe in the seven. What R.C. Sproul talks about the seven wills. That that word will is being used different between the Trinitarian context and the soteriological context. But the point is, is this, is that we know that God has kind of quote-unquote conflicting wills, even if you're not a Calvinist, and specifically as it pertains to the crucifixion, right? The Bible is very clear that God planned this, that God the Father desired this, right? Jesus said, take this cup from me, and God the Father said, no, right? I No, I, so to, in some sense, God the Father wanted the crucifixion to happen. That was his will. But I mean, obviously, God the Father saw it as a horrible thing. He prescribed in his moral law, thou shall not murder. So there was a sense in which God did not want the crucifixion to happen. He very expressly in his law said, you shall not do something like this. Uh, Jesus himself, you know, he really uh, criticized heavily the generation of Jews that rejected him and crucified him because they had an obligation to accept him and not to kill their Messiah. Uh, So we see even within God, it, it doesn't make sense to say, well, God planned the, pers- the crucifixion. He allowed the p- crucifixion. Jesus said, take the cup, and God said no. Uh, therefore, God desired it. He, he loved it. He enjoyed it. He, right? I mean, now all of a sudden it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is more complicated than that. And uh, Calvinists like R.C. Sproul and many in the Reformed tradition would say we can talk in that same kind of a way about God's desire to save everybody. So to summarize... Because God did not elect everybody does not mean that he didn't, doesn't desire the salvation of everybody. Those two things are not actually, you don't have to maintain that logic in order to be a full-fledged black coffee Calvinist. But here's what I personally think is a little bit stronger and a little less philosophical. In this idea that, well, Paul would have saved them. Uh, God, God didn't. God wouldn't. Therefore, Paul loves them more. But notice how I don't think Pastor Mike would actually apply that very same logic to issues outside of salvation. So he seems to be a little inconsistent. So let me give you an example. There's a lot of child suffering that goes on in the world. Um, I have a very dear brother, very close person, family in my life, who for obvious reasons I'm not going to mention their names or any, their personal information. But they are going right now through the horror, the trauma, the terror of a 10-month-old, beautiful, precious baby girl who has stage 4 cancer, and it's, and it's spread very badly. So I, and I bet Pastor Mike, if, if he were in the room with me, would lament this just as I would. We would both together cry together. And I think both of us would be willing to speak in a language similar to Paul, right? Like, I would be willing to say, God, kill me, but just save this young girl. Or give me the cancer and and take it from her. I'd be willing to do that. And I bet Pastor Mike would be too. In other words, if Pastor Mike had the ability to snap his fingers and eradicate child cancer, I'd be willing to say he'd do it. I would. But what's the problem? according to how he's thinking right now. God does have the power to do that. God does have the power to prevent every single child from getting cancer, or at least to heal them the second they get it. Pastor Mike would have to agree with that. God can heal cancer. He can heal it. Miraculously, he can do that. 
He can prevent people from getting it. He can do that. So does it make sense in Pastor Mike's train of thought, in, within his logical framework that he's applying to Romans 9, is he willing to say, I'm, he must love children more than God loves children? And the proof of that is, if it were up to him, there would be no child cancer. But apparently God would, right? The logic doesn't make sense. What, what, I don't know what Pastor Mike would say. I don't want to put words into his mouth, but he would probably say something like, uh, you know, obviously God just must have reasons beyond me for why he would permit child cancer. Well, then why can't that be an answer for, for Paul and his seemingly stronger desire and love for the Jews than God's, right? So when you take the same logic and apply it to something that isn't salvific but still very important, like health and and comfort and joy, uh, all of a sudden he's inconsistent. He he would be willing to say, okay, I get it. I I want everyone to be happy and healed. I want everyone to be free of cancer and sickness. But apparently God doesn't. But that doesn't mean that I love them more. That's I'm assuming would be Mike Winger's testimony. Yet, why won't he allow that soteriologically? Yeah, I mean, if it were up to me, I would just go in and save everybody and. But apparently God's not doing that. But it doesn't mean that I love them more. You see how the logic connects. Uh, so I think that Pastor Mike is being inconsistent. N- number one, it doesn't necessarily imply God didn't elect them, therefore he doesn't desire their salvation more than any other being in in existence. That, 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 that's just logic that doesn't have to be applied. But even if we do apply it, I think the stronger argument is that Pastor Mike doesn't live that way. The bottom line is that the realities of what we as creatures perceive, think, and would do uh, are, are, rel- are, are relative to the fact that we are creatures. We are sinful, fallen creatures who are not omniscient with a limited perspective. God is a holy, righteous, omniscient being. And so to simply say, God must not love this person because he doesn't treat them the way I would treat them. Uh is 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 really bad theology. That's a really bad understanding of God and creature and, and the divide between the creator and the creature. So I don't think that this argument um, holds a lot of sway, uh, but hopefully we'll be able to get back to more textual in-depth arguments so we can really begin to see where is the breakdown for Calvinists and non-Calvinists as it turns to Romans 9. Where are we sort of un- unhitching and falling apart from one another on there? So look forward to it. Thanks for listening. Uh, Maintain the gospel, maintain the fight. God bless.